Good morning, Redemption. How many of you enjoyed the uh, baptism party, celebrating new life in Christ? Yes. Congratulations to all those who were baptized today. That's amazing, powerful. I want to look today at how can you find peace when your world is falling apart? When we hit troubled times and it feels like everything's falling apart around us, how can we find peace? When you get laid off and you're not sure how you're going to make rent. When someone who you love so much passes away. When you know that God is a God of justice, but you look around at the state of the world and sometimes his justice can seem so long coming, how do you find peace? I've got a book called uh, The Promises of God, and it's got over 300 promises in there that you find in Scripture. Promises where God says to his people that uh, he will ultimately bless and prosper them. Promises of God's comfort and his promise to deliver and save. But there's one promise that they forgot to put in that book, and one promise that I imagine you might not have on your radar too, and it's Jesus' promise that you're going to have trouble. He says in the passage we're looking at today that in this world you will have tribulation. He's going, there's, there's no getting around it. Troubled times are going to come at one time or another, and when they come, how do you find peace? Well, Jesus is going to show us today how to find peace in troubled times. We're in John chapter 16, and so if you have your Bible and you want to open up and turn there as we continue in our series in the Gospel of John, and for a little context here, Jesus is preparing his disciples because he's going to the cross So he is preparing them for the brutal experience they're about to go through. We also find in this passage, though, he's preparing them for their own tribulations that are going to come later on down the road as well. And Jesus says today that you can have peace even when your world is falling apart, and he's going to show you how. And so let's look today at peace in troubled times. Let's jump in in John chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus says, A little while, everyone say a little while. A little while. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he was talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant? By saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. What do you do when little feels long? When a little while feels like forever? This phrase, a little while, it shows up seven times here in just four verses. And that's John's way of going, hey, pay attention. This is a key phrase. It's something he's wanted to highlight here. There's this question of a little while. And the disciples are going, now what's Jesus mean by a little while? And Jesus is like, you guys are asking, you want to know what I mean by a little while? And he's talking about his crucifixion. It's coming three days. And on the one hand, three days is not too long, right? Like it's, it's a weekend. But it didn't feel like a little while when they were going through it. 
you can place yourself in the disciples' shoes and imagine what it was like as they saw Jesus arrested. And probably they thought, now, here it comes. Here come the angel armies and the messianic kingdom. It's going to be the showdown. Here it comes. And it didn't happen. And then as they saw Jesus being beaten and flogged and mocked, and the confusion began to really kick in, and, and they're like, what is going on? And then as they saw the, the nails pounded into his hands and his feet, and they scattered and they fled and they ran away. And then as Jesus dies and goes into the grave, to all apparent purposes and vision, all hope is gone. This is game over. Everything that we banked the last few years of our life on, lives on, every kind of hope that we had for restoration in the future, it's all been for nothing. And not only that, they're probably coming for us next. The disciples are disillusioned. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to feel like all hope is lost. I know he said a little while, but it's over. Those three days must have been an eternity because a little while feels like forever when you're in it. You know, time goes slower when you are stressed and depressed. They've actually done a load of studies on this, and it's pretty fascinating. They found that, uh, you know, they'll do tests, for example, by like showing people like a short film, and then they have to guess how, how long approximately was it, and different things to kind of measure time. And what they found is that, like on the one hand, the classic saying is time flies when you're having fun, but that the inverse is also true. Time goes slower when you're sad. In uh, these studies, they kind of debate why is it that this happens, that when you're depressed, you perceive time as going by more slowly. And there's some different opinions, like some uh, researchers suggest it has to do with our internal clock, that when we get sad, like our internal clock, our motor functions internally begin to slow down and they feel out of sync or out of pace with the motion of the world around us. Others suggest that it has to do with the way that our attention is regulated, that as we begin to ruminate on the problems that we find ourselves in the midst of, we become more distracted from being able to be present to the current moment. Now, whatever the reason for why this happens, you've all experienced it to be true, and as one author put it, the more the world sucks, the slower it goes. <laughs> and I wonder... How many of you are in a spot this morning where a little feels long? Maybe you've been in the hospital waiting room crying out, God, why don't you show up and fix it? Maybe you're in a spot where you're single and don't want to be, and you're going, God, I thought I would be married by now. Maybe you're in a spot where you're depressed looking out at the state of the world and going, God, I know you've got the whole world in your hands, but it sure hasn't felt like it these days. You and I, we can find ourselves like the disciples where we're saying, Jesus, you said a little while, but it seems like we're using different systems of measurement here because what you call a little while feels like forever. What do you do when little feels long? Jesus continues in verse 20. He says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. If we're going to be sad, you're going to experience sorrow, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, everyone say sorrow, will turn into joy. I'll say joy. Joy. That sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus says that you can find peace in troubled times when you know that joy is coming. That joy is coming. Jesus doesn't pretend the sorrow is in there. He names it and says, you will be sorrowful. There will be weeping and lament and tears. He tells his disciples that as I go into the grave, it's going to be heartache. It's going to be heartbroken. You are going to cry and experience sadness, and I don't want to ignore that or pretend that's not there, but I want you to know that on the other side of this experience, joy is coming. That there is joy that is coming. The sorrow is not the end of the story. And that his resurrection will turn their sorrow into joy. We find this later in John chapter 20, verse 20, where Jesus is now risen from the grave and he encounters his disciples and it says that they were filled with joy. Filled with joy. Jesus compares this process to birth. How many of you know that birth is a painful process? Right? Your mom groaning and going through the pain and the convulsions to bring you into the world. And yet, when little baby you appeared, that sorrow, the weeping, the lament, the pain turned into joy that you had arrived. And in this picture, Jesus is the newborn baby. Jesus is the newborn baby who will emerge. And in this picture Jesus is giving them, the crucifixion is like birth pangs. And the grave in the earth is like the womb from which he will emerge resurrected like a newborn child, born again and bringing joy in his wake. Colossians 1.18 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Acts 2.24 says that God has loosed Jesus from the birth pangs of death. And once more, in this picture, death and the grave and the uh, lament and the, the sorrow and the pain that is heading there is depicted like birth pangs. But this pain has a purpose. It's going somewhere, and the sorrow doesn't have the last word. It's going like that birth. The sorrow will give way to joy. You know, my wife, Holly, she loves me. She adores me. She thinks the world of me. But sometimes she wants to kill me. <laughs> and one of those times was the birth of our first child. And so Holly went into labor. It was September 8th, 2009. And as the labor pangs began to build and she began to experience the stress and the strain of labor, I being the mathematical genius that I am, came to an epiphany, and that was that if we could just hold our daughter in there one day longer, her birthday would be September 999, right? September 9, 2009. And wouldn't that be amazing? 
so <laughs> wanting to share this glorious epiphany, you know. Sweetie, guess what? If we can just keep her in there one day longer and the daggers coming out of my wife's eyes could have killed me right then and there. <laughs> the reality is, birth is painful. I knew that she was strong, but I didn't realize how strong until the birth of our child. She's stronger than I am, that is for sure. And yet, through that travail and the groaning and the tears and, and, and the pain of that, when our child came into the world, the experience was replaced by joy. There was joy that overwhelmed and transformed the pain that had just occurred. It was powerful. It was shocking, the euphoria to hold together our newborn child. And similarly here, Jesus says that that joy of a new child is a picture of the new life that will come at the resurrection. That joy of a new child being born into the world is a picture of the new life resurrection joy that is coming, that Jesus has come to bring. And Jesus says that when it does, this joy will be so great that you won't even remember the pain from before. Now, what's he saying there when he says you won't even remember the pain from before. I, I don't think he's saying that you're going to completely forget it as if it never happened. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like Men in Black where you kind of, you know, wipe away your memory banks, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. But I think what Jesus is saying is that that pain, it won't be forgotten, but it will be transformed by the joy that comes on the other side. It's kind of like, man, moms telling birth stories, right? Where in the moment, the experience was so painful, but in retrospect, there's laughter, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this, and there's this delight to share the story because of what's come out through the other, what's happened on the other side. Interestingly, uh, I learned something new recently, and that's that uh, surgeries, recently in surgeries, they have started um, adding pain at the end of the surgery, adding a lesser amount of pain to change your memory of the surgery itself. Uh, so let's say, for example, you're having an hour-long surgery. It's going to be really painful. Let's say the pain is like a negative 10, like really painful. Well, so you have this hour-long surgery at negative 10, and then at the end, rather than just when they're done being done, they might add, let's say, like 15 minutes of like a negative 5 level of pain. And that's kind of weird, right? Because you're kind of going, quantitatively, that's more pain. Like, like an hour at negative 10 plus the negative 5 for 15 minutes is quantitatively adding more pain. But what they found is that when it ends, like the experience that you have towards the end of a painful experience actually transforms your memory of the experience itself. It's not as bad. And I believe what Jesus is getting at here is not that you're going to go from a negative 10 level pain to a negative 5 level pain. But with resurrection, he's saying you're going to go from a negative 10 to a positive 100. And that joy that is coming will overwhelm the current travail that you have been through in a way that will transform the memory of the experience itself. You can find peace when you realize that joy is coming. You can endure the darkness of the tunnel when you're able to lift your eyes and look ahead to the light at the end of it. 
The Apostle Paul says in Romans 18 that I consider our present sufferings, um, that I consider our present sufferings like nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, he's not saying that our present sufferings are nothing. He's not trying to minimize them. It's not looking at the sufferings themselves and pretending they're not there. But he says, only when you compare it, when you set it side by side with, when you set it in the light of eternity that is coming, and the joy that you will experience on the other end will be much longer and greater than the pain that you're enduring now. Both the magnitude and the duration of the joy that Christ has accomplished through the power of his death and resurrection, it will be greater. And it's when you're able to set those two things side by side, it doesn't make the pain of the current experience go away. But it enables us to have peace in the midst of it, knowing that because of Christ, that future is secure. Because of Jesus, your future is secure. When what you're in feels overwhelming, you can lift your eyes and see that joy is coming. But Josh, if Jesus is talking here about his crucifixion and resurrection, does this really apply to us too? Well, Jesus continues. Uh, we actually jump down to verse 33, and this is kind of the climax in, in the end of this passage. Jesus says this. <clears throat> He tells us why he's telling these things. He says, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. He's saying, my purpose, why I've been telling you this is to bring you peace. You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying here is that we have a pregnant faith, not a birth faith. Saying, you and I, we have a pregnant faith in the sense that, like him heading towards his tribulation, that we are heading towards our tribulation. We are going to have tribulations in this world, and that means that we are in the womb of the old world, feeling the groaning and the convulsions and the labor pangs. But with Christ, we know and have confidence that this is heading somewhere. It is going somewhere. This pain is not pointless, like some guy hitting his hand on the hammer with a I don't know, hit his hand with a hammer or something. This pain has a purpose. It is like birth. It is heading somewhere. God is forming and shaping and preparing for a future that is coming. And we can have peace. Jesus says here, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. That's a promise. Right? Jesus said it. It's going to come. So how, how many of you know God is faithful to keep his promises? Right? <laughs> And there's no one I've met that hasn't at some stage or some point hit times of tribulation, times when it feels like your world is falling apart. And this raises the question, when Jesus was talking about this little while earlier, was he talking about the three days he was going to be in the grave? Or was he talking about the 2,000 years of his ascension? Was he talking about his tribulation or ours? And Scholars actually make the case for both, and it is a both end. We see language and imagery for both. Jesus talking in this passage about his coming tribulation in the cross and our coming tribulation at, as his followers before the final consummation of the kingdom. And this makes sense because what has happened to Jesus is now coming upon the whole world. Romans 8 tells us that 
all creation is groaning as in the pangs of childbirth, labor pangs and eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God, for the children of God to be revealed. This means that you and I, we are in the womb of the old world. The gospel is seeing creation here as like a womb that we are in. And yes, it's filled with the convulsions and it's filled with, feels like the world is falling apart and it's filled with the tremors and the pain and all of that. And yet the gospel says that it is heading somewhere. It is heading towards resurrection, that ultimately this is not a pointless pain. It is a pain with a purpose that is heading towards new creation, resurrection, and life in Christ. The gospel tells us that however hard it may be yet, joy is coming. Now, this means that you and I, we have a pregnant faith, not a birth faith. We are not there yet. We have not yet entered the fullness of resurrection in the kingdom that is coming. We still live in the midst of this world. And when Jesus tells them, he says uh, that I have overcome the world, Jesus is saying is he's like our older brother who's gone before us. He's already come out the other side of the womb. He is the first fruits of the new creation. He is risen from the grave. He is born again, so to speak, coming with life. And if we look ahead, we can see him out before us and the light of the new creation in him, even as we remain in the womb of the old world heading towards him. And in the midst of this world, we have a pregnant faith not a birth faith, because we're not fully there yet. There's no one who I have been learning about this more from lately than Jake and Lexi Slobodnik. Many of you have been praying for them, and, uh, and they have wanted you to be updated as well on kind of what's going on. And for those of you who are not familiar with their story, I just want to kind of catch you up to speed as well. So Jake and Lexi, uh, as of today, it marks 133 days that baby Asher has been in the hospital. That's over four months, over a third of the year. And talking with Jake and Lexi, they would say, man, this little while has felt like forever. They have been in the thick of it. And the story (laughs) has been one where Lexi went into labor at 22 weeks, her water broke, I'm sorry, water broke at 22 weeks, and the doctors were saying, uh, he's not going to survive, brace yourself and get ready, because he's most likely not going to survive. And many of you rallied around and began to pray for them. And three days in, uh, labor pangs began, and we were all saying no, and we rallied around, and and, and many of you were praying and fasting and crying out to God, and the labor pains subsided, and Asher was able to remain in the womb for another more than six weeks. And at 29 weeks, Asher was born, it's still fragile. They couldn't get him to breathe, and so once more the doctors told them to get ready to say goodbye. And again, if you rallied around and joined them in praying and fasting and crying out to God, and he was able to be stabilized. Next, they were looking at having to do heart surgery to close the hole in his heart. And as they were preparing and getting ready for the surgery, many of you again rallied around and prayed and cried out to God. And before they were able to do the surgery, the hole closed on its own. Since then, he has grappled with pulmonary hypertension and the threat of blindness because of his oxygen levels. 
But you have rallied and called out and cried out to God in prayer, and he has uh, been, become, been, been stabilized still. And now currently is at a spot where uh, the thread or the thing that they're waiting to see is whether he'll need a tracheostomy, uh, like a hole in his neck to help his breathing. And many of you have joined or are invited to continue to join in crying out and praying. And as I have processed uh, with Jake and Lexi, I've asked them, you know, what has been sustaining you guys in this process? What is it that's been sustaining them in the process? And they've really pointed to two things, highlighted two things in particular. Lexi has talked about prayer, significance and the power and the necessity of prayer. She says, man, this whole situation, it has been maddening and frustrating because it feels like we're on an emotional roller coaster where, uh, man, God will answer one prayer like a miracle. And then, then, you know, it's almost like every day has been a miracle. And then there's another life-threatening obstacle right on the other side. And it's just plunged us in this place where we have nothing but complete dependence and crying out and dependence on God. They wanted you to know thank you for all those who have joined them in praying and crying out for Asher. And they have seen, as mentioned in their story just now, loads of those prayers answered. They describe it feels like their son Asher is being welcomed into the world through the prayers of God's people, praying him into the world. People have been asking them, they say, you know, what can we do help. You need meals, whatever. And they say, we don't need meals. We're fine there. But would you fast and pray? Would you cry out to God on behalf of our son? If you want to support us, that is the thing that we could most use. Uh, Lexi shared the story of the Klontz boys sending them a video. And it was a video of them talking about how they had just been praying for Asher, his breathing at one stage in the story. And they watched the video and then they, they turned and Asher pulled the breathing tube out of his mouth and began breathing on his own. They talked about how Agnes, the 60-year-old Nigerian nurse uh, there, has said, you see, Asher is teaching the people of God to pray like we need to in these crazy days. We, as Redemption Tempe, we have no, had no greater teacher when it comes to prayer in this season than Asher, this child coming into the world. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Asher, born at two and a half pounds, and they wanted to share this as a picture of him now at six pounds. Big, beautiful. So Lexi highlighted prayer, but one other thing that has sustained them, Jake said, is hope. Jake said that they have been sustained through what has just felt like their world falling apart and this travail and these troubled times, they've been sustained by the hope of the gospel. Uh, Jake said, my only peace in the storm has been knowing that joy is coming. They had been reading this passage as well in advance for this week, and that's where I, that phrase, joy is coming, came from, was Jake going, man, the thing that has sustained me is knowing that because of Christ's death and resurrection, ultimately that joy is coming. And saying, even in the thick of it, in the darkest, worst moments, said, I know that I will hold my son, whether now or in the resurrection to come. It's joy. It's coming. He said, I know I will see my child longer than I've cried for him in the light of eternity. Jake wrote this uh, for me to share just as his process, that one of the biggest questions that he has 
been uh, facing during this time is this, saying, will my ultimate joy come now in this life? Or will it come in the future one day? What do I really believe? Is my only hope if things get better? Or is my joy that one day I will watch King Jesus tear down this hospital brick by brick because we won't need hospitals ever again? That I will stand and watch as I hug Asher and we laugh about how there used to be a day where we worried at all. That we will see Satan, sin, and sickness, and death become nothing but a footstool for King Jesus as he literally wipes away the tears. Do I really believe that one day, no matter how dark things get or for how long, when I see Jesus come back, the joy I fully experience must only be bigger to compensate? That if God hears my prayers and hands me suffering, it can only be as a gift that I get to carry around in my body the death of Jesus so that when resurrection comes, the joy will be greater. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do I really believe that my faith is like a pregnant woman, that one day the joy will be so great, so deep, so healing that I will forget the pain? We have a pregnant faith, not a birth faith. That's one other thing that Jake told me this week. He's been reflecting on this, is that we have a pregnant faith. As he was reading this passage, I got that from him, because he was going, man, I've been struck by we have a pregnant faith. We live in the womb of this old world, experiencing the convulsions and the groaning and all that, but our faith is pregnant because it's heading towards new birth, new life, new creation, resurrection. And you know how this feels. You have been given by Jesus a pregnant faith. But I can imagine, I know some of you right now, you feel the darkness pressing in around you. You can feel the constriction and the compression like the walls are closing in. It can feel perhaps that you're like at the bottom of a deep, dark well, and it's claustrophobic, and it feels like the space is just cramped, and God, I don't know that there's any way out. And yet, Jesus is telling us here, gospel lets you in on a secret, that you are not at the bottom of a dark well, you are at the tip of a birth canal, and resurrection is coming. That God is forming you through the compression and the strains and the process, and that there is a glory that is coming that far outweighs anything you are experiencing now. There is a joy that is coming that is strong enough and powerful enough through Christ's very presence to actually overwhelm the depths of agony and suffering that you find yourself in the midst of today. That in the light of eternity, what you're experiencing today will seem just like a little while. Because there is a glory and a joy that is coming that far outweighs it all. So Jesus wants you to know that you can have peace in the midst of whatever storm you find yourself in, not the peace of like a Hallmark card or a Band-Aid or just ignoring and pretending like it's not really that bad, a peace that doesn't necessarily make it all go away in an instant, but a peace that finds and encounters you in the midst of it. Jesus says here that this peace, he says, it's in me. That the peace he gives is the peace of his presence who comes alongside and encounters you in the depths of that 
darkest, constricted, difficult place, and he points and lifts our eyes forward to say, joy is coming. It is secure because I have paid for it with my death and my resurrection. And while you are in this world, you are going to experience tribulation. You are going to experience darkness and pain and grief. You are going to experience times where it feels like the walls are closing in around you. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and that is where our hope is found. He himself is our peace. We celebrated baptisms just prior to the service. We had that baptism party, and that is appropriate today because baptism is an image of new birth. And it's interesting, in the early church, uh, people were actually, they baptized people naked, right? We decided we weren't going to do that today because we had... <laughs> traffic going by, and it'd just be awkward next time we see each other, or whatever. So, but the idea was you would be baptized naked, like your birthday suit, right? And then you would come up out of the waters, and they would clothe you. And it was this picture of this is your new birth, that similar to how your first birth, you were born through the breaking of waters and the coming into the air and the breath of life. But so now in this second birth, you have been born out of the breaking of water coming up from the grave, like Christ raising you into the new life of his presence. And you have been raised through this new birth into a new family, into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have been raised as a people into the life of the triune God. You have been made partakers of the divine nature, Peter says, that we are united with Christ, and through him we experience life together in union with the fullness of God. He has brought us home as his children. Your baptism is a sign of your new birth, and it's a sign of the joy that is coming. That even as you have been united with Christ in his death, so you will one day be united with him in his resurrection. So church, you have been born into a new humanity with a hope and a peace that cannot be shaken that the tribulations and trials of this world, they may shake you, but they cannot take that away. So the invitation this morning as we come to the table, we come to Christ's body broken and his blood shed, and we come to Jesus, the joy giver, the one who has given his life in order to restore and to bring us joy. Because Jesus actually gives us two promises in this passage. I tell you the one that he promises, yeah, you're going to have tribulation, but he also gives us another. He says that I have overcome the world. Jesus is letting you know, man, there are going to be times that your world is going to feel like it's falling apart, but when those times come, you can come to him. He says, you can come to me. You can experience peace in me and the security in me because I have given my life to lay down my life to secure for you the eternal hope and joy that is coming. Jesus wants you to know, Jesus wants you to know this morning that he has overcome the world. So the joy and the glory and the hope that he brings is secure. We're invited to come to him to experience his hope, his peace with us in the storm this morning. Would you join me in prayer?
Jesus, we come to you this morning uh, grateful for your commitment to us, God, that you would lay down your life in order to secure for us that victory that can turn our sorrow ultimately into joy one day. God, I want to pray right now for all those who are experiencing right now, who are in the midst of the little while, God, the little while that feels like forever. In fact, I want to take a moment right now and if that's you, if you're in the midst of something, I just want to create a moment of silence here for you to, whether under your breath or whatever, just to bring before Christ in prayer. Just name that little while that you find yourself in the midst of the thing that is pressing in around you. Just take a moment. I invite you to bring that before Jesus. Jesus, in the midst of the womb of this old world, God, where it can often feel like the world has fallen apart around us, God, we lift our eyes and we look to you who have risen with new life, born again, the power of your resurrection, your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you that joy is coming. We set our eyes on you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to your people right now, minister God, where we need the assurance, the confidence that these trials and tribulations, they do not have the last word on our story. God, that your joy does. Jesus, who else have we in heaven or on earth but you that can bring such hope? We come to you, Lord. And this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. I invite you to come. And Jesus, we come to this table to partake of your body given in your blood, shed. God, a sign of our union with you through your death, resurrection, God, that your hope is secure and that even in the midst of the storm, God, thank you, it's not a hallmark card or a band-aid. It doesn't just make the stuff go away, God. You give us your presence in the midst of it and that you give us the confidence, Lord, through your spirit, this joy and this glory is coming. So Jesus, we praise you, we celebrate you, we lift you high, we worship you, we adore you, Jesus. It is in you that our joy is found, Lord. It is in you that our hope is found. You are our peace. It is in the precious and holy name of Christ.